pace because wait, 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 wait. While Leah is away tinkering with technology, I can't keep her away from it. Let me commandeer the meeting for just a minute to tell you something that I overheard standing near the water cooler. It was some sort of bantering, some sort of murmuring, something about staging a comeback. I heard these words like the Liberty International Airport Hotel and its convention center. Boy, that boy, that sounds familiar to me, doesn't it to you? Well, anyway, I heard that it's setting up a comeback for a vision for you. Now, my source is highly reliable and said that all things are set to happen with this comeback in about 13 months and mentioned on the side that if they were us, it was best to go ahead and set this on the calendar and spread the news about convention. So on that word of that valuable, viable resource, I'm spreading the news and saying to all of us, save the date, save the date. It's November 15th, 16th and 17th of 2019, 13 short months from now. Yahoo, yahoo. Wait, wait, oops, oops. I think the big play is coming back. <clears throat> Melanie, hey, are you got that. hey, hey, are you creating trouble on the line? This is serious business here, Melanie. Sorry, I'm backing up. I'm backing up. I'm sorry. Was it your turn? Your turn? Okay, okay. No Looking more forward me. to seeing you, Mel. Looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> at the Marriott Newark International Airport Hotel. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, October 28, 2018. The share IDs for Friday, October 26, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,103. That's 12103. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,104. That's 12104. This morning, a vision for you presents enough. The frantic search for more and more has characterized many of our lives. We believe that if only we had more love, more accolades, more food, more money, more things, we would be happy and satisfied. Food seems so reliable. Unlike friends or spouses, it was always there. Whether restless, irritable, or discontent, whether through fear, anger, or sadness, it was easy to reach for food for a sense of ease and comfort. We liked the effect. Food became the immediate answer to any yearning. However, the more we consumed, the more miserable we became. No amount could satisfy our emotional and spiritual hunger. The promise of the 12-step process is one of a spiritual awakening. We have tapped the unsuspected inner resource of strength by working these steps and our spirit is awakened. We learn to know our higher power and we learn that he satisfies our needs. We find that we can be content with enough instead of grasping for more. Joining us today to speak on this very topic of enough is Kathy G., a recovered compulsive overeater from Illinois. Kathy is a dedicated trudger of the 12-step way of life and dedicated to carrying this message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Kathy G. Good morning, Leah, and thank you so much for the invitation. I just, uh, I'm really overwhelmed with gratitude and uh, 
It's such a gift to be in recovery today and to be able to share the journey through the steps with all of you. And it was because of your message of death and weight that I heard you sharing that I was able to recover. And I'm so grateful to have the opportunity today to share my journey into enough through the steps. Before I start this, I just wanted to take a moment to honor Judy F., who gave the special edition talk last week. It was uh, October 21st, and if you didn't have a chance to be on the line, the ID number was 12079. And it was an incredible display of what is possible in recovery, what it looks like to be enough in your own skin, what it looks like to match calamity with serenity. And I was thinking when she spoke last week, um, uh, another recording was made that is a clean recording, but there was some intense interference on the line. And rather than crumbling, Judy just displayed grace and perseverance and peace and even some laughter in the midst. And it was so powerful to me. And I just uh, wanted to flip to page 50 in the big book. And it said, there has been a revolutionary change in the way of living and thinking in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. I think that that is exactly what she demonstrated and exactly what is possible when we follow these steps. And there was one more line that I thought of um, because I was in awe listening to this and how she handled it. And it says on page 68, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity. So thank you, Judy. Uh, thank you for your example. Thank you, Leah, for your cool, calm manner, for your leadership, you and Melanie. I mean, we are so privileged to have the leadership in this meeting of Overeaters Anonymous that we do. We have Melanie out on the West Coast. What time is it there right now? It's 5.37 in the morning. And there she is, bright-eyed and leading us. And and it's a remarkable thing that day after day after day, consistently, we are led with such structure and order and love and grace and truth. And it's changed my life. I mean, it was the example, like I said, of depth and weight that was modeled by all of you. So before I pray into the talk, I just really want to thank 
every single person on this line who attends these meetings and dares to share. Because it's not easy to press star one, especially when you're new, and get on a line with people who have such wisdom and such recovery. But last uh, spring, it was in the spring of 2017, a friend of mine led me to um, the phone meetings that are available in Overeaters Anonymous which I didn't know of uh, because I had become so exasperated by not being able to stay stopped with the compulsive overeating, even though I had 26 plus years free from bulimia, that I just didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. And here I am in my bed this morning. And I feel like I said to a couple of my friends this morning, I just like, I wish we were all like in our flannel jammies with a big fire and a fireplace. And I'm just going to pretend we're all just sitting around together and I'm just going to share my journey through these steps and into enough. And uh, what a thrill it is to be with all of you today. I'm honored to be in your company. Thank you so, so much for continuing to recover one day at a time because you have pulled me across a line that I could never cross on my own. So that being said, I would just like to take a moment uh, to pray uh, into this talk. God, I just thank you. I thank you for the hope that we have in these 12 steps. I thank you that you can take us out of the pit of despair and bring us into the fourth dimension with you, into a life that I really couldn't imagine. You have created a clear outline for us to take, and it's available for everyone. God, I pray that anything in my journey that could be of service to someone else or that could help them to cross the line from being stuck and feeling like they are not enough into maybe just lighting a little flicker of hope for them to help them cross over. I pray that you would bring it forth. I pray that you would guide my words, guide my thoughts, guide my steps this morning. There's all kinds of directions I go and stories I could talk about. But I pray, you know every person on this line, and I pray that the stories and the words that you would choose to have me focus on this morning would be the exact ones that would touch the hearts of those who might be hurting this morning. So I thank you for the gift of today. I thank you for my abstinence. I thank you for my freedom. I thank you for my hope, my clarity, and for your direction. And I just offer this up to you today. (sighs) Okay. All right, I woke up really early this morning, and actually, I woke up at 4.15, and I was having a dream, and I thought it was so funny. I was having a dream <laughs> that it was 7.10 in the morning, and, and, and I'm on Central Time, so it's 7.30-ish my time now. So in this dream, I was looking at a clock, and the clock said 7.10, and I was in a house, and I was aware in the dream that I needed to find my keys. And in order to find my keys, I had to 
climb over this wall and go through these different grasses of different heights. And I, I had to go through these airport doors and go up to a counter through lines of people to get to the attendant who had my keys. And I tried a couple times and I was getting really anxious that I wasn't going to get on the line in time because it was 7.10 and there were just, like I said, there were many obstacles to overcome. Uh, there was a big wait sometimes and I wanted to be on time. So I thought to myself, wow, that kind of reminds me, you know, of the recovery. It's like it was in November. It was November 17th of 1990. Some of you have heard me share this on the line before where I had uh, binged several times that day. And I was on the bathroom floor of my apartment because I had thrown up several times that day and my heart started beating erratically and ferociously. And I was really, really scared that I might have a heart attack. And I remember saying a prayer and I said, God, please don't let me die on this bathroom floor. And I just thought of the possibility of my family finding me dead on the bathroom floor. And I uh, didn't want them to have to deal with that. So I got a picture in my mind's eye of a big white flag. And I just remember waving that flag marked surrender. And I said, I will do whatever I have to do to get rid of this illness, of this obsession and this relentless pursuit of seeking to fill the void within me through excess food. I mean, I had searched for so many years for the perfect shortbread cookie, the perfect brownie, the perfect sandwich, you know, whatever it was. And it just never worked. It just didn't work. And here I was yet again after having laid out every food that I thought would take away that ache that I thought would give me that sense of ease and comfort they talk about in the big book. And yet again, I'm in the bathroom, this time thinking I might die. And I'm basically exhausted, helpless, feeling hopeless. And like, I don't know what I can do. So I just remember through a series of events, getting to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting in the city and that's where I met my first sponsor, and she was beautiful. And uh, I just thought to myself, what is she doing here in this, in this room? I just couldn't believe it. She just had a beautiful light about her, and I could tell there was something about her that I, that I just wanted. And uh, so I, I talked to her after the meeting, and we got connected, and uh, we worked through the steps. Uh, not like I worked through them in vision, but we worked through them and I, I did a fourth step and I, I did the steps, but it was enough. It was enough then to make room for God to come in 
to help me get set free from bulimia. I, I just completely believe it was the grace of God. Oh, and I want you to know I'm going to use the word God for my higher power, but just know that this program does not say you have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in my God, anything like that. We talk about a higher power. And just for ease in my speech, I'm just going to say God, because for me, that is God. But we'll go through the steps and talk about that a little more. So I got set free from bulimia. And that is nothing short of a miracle. Because when my bulimia was at its worst, I remember calling my mother from college and saying, I, I was just sobbing. And I said, Mom, if I could go five minutes without this obsession, I would think that was a miracle. And now it's almost 28 years. And if you would have told me that I would have been sitting here 28 years later, being able to say that and talking, you know, with hundreds of people about how I was set free from that, I really wouldn't have believed you. I, I do believe that that was a miracle because Somebody said to me, I met another bulimic who was recovered in the program, or trying to recover, and she said, uh, you know, you just have to not throw up. And, you know, for any bulimics on the line that are listening, that might sound like, duh, you know, like, of course I have to not throw up. And that seems impossible when you're a bulimic, but for some reason that key was pivotal in my recovery. And I think that's what the dream was talking about. You know, it was like, I have to find my keys. You know, we have the keys now through these steps and through the pages of this big book. And I am here just like many people on this line are to tell you that these keys work on page 88. You know, it says it works. It really does. And what kind of a miracle is that? Because we have hope that we can have this new life. We have hope, um, as it says in the doctor's opinion. I just want to find this one page that just popped into my head. Um, it says on um, XXVIII that in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than, than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. And I really do think that that's what this recovery is about. It's the recreation of our lives through these steps. And if you watched my journey, you know, for the past almost 30 years, I have been on an intense spiritual path for that whole time. So I'm sure that as some people listen, they might be saying, how could you be free from bulimia all that time but still be struggling with the food? I really believe that my faith life was so strong that God somehow gave me grace to most of the time be eating well and doing well. It was when my feelings became unmanageable or life got too hard or maybe something really joyful or exciting was happening. I kind of was just sliding into taking the edge off of my emotions with the food 
and hiding with it. Uh, it was really a lot about hiding for me and eating to the point of passing out just to check out of consciousness because I did not know how to deal with life. So I'd like to walk through the 12 steps through the lens of enough. When, when Leah invited me to speak on this special edition I asked her if I could have about a day, and I, pr- I prayed about it a lot, and I asked God what he would have me talk about, and the word enough came to me just loud and clear, and then a lot of times when I ask God, um, you know, for, it says in the big book, like an inspiration, a thought or an inspiration, I will have a confirmation after I get the initial uh, feeling that this is the way I'm supposed to go. And it was so neat because when I shared it with my sponsee, what I was talking about, she sent me a picture of the tattoo that she has on her wrist, which says enough. And I had forgotten that she had that tattoo. I had seen it, but I just forgot. And I thought it just felt like I call them kisses from heaven. It just felt like a kiss. And I thought that's what I'm supposed to talk about. Ah. And the reason I can talk at all today before all of you is because I can honestly tell you that I know that whatever I'm going to say is going to be enough. It doesn't have to be the best. It's probably not going to be the worst. It's, but it's going to be enough for today. And I feel like I'm enough for God. I feel like I had had enough of negotiating with this illness and through the steps came to believe that God was more than enough to get me up and over every challenge, every emotion, every craving, all of it. And then I just landed in this place of feeling like I am enough. And on days or moments when I feel outside of that, I now have tools to pull me right back in. And what a joy that is. And what a joy it is to share with you today. So let us turn into how it works. And we're just going to walk through these steps with the lens of enough. I'm really excited about this. I woke up this morning and I honestly felt like it was Christmas. Like I was a small kid at Christmas. Like how much fun is it to get to do this? And how much fun is it to get to wake up not being hungover. It's a rainy Sunday morning, and I just had a wonderful, healthy breakfast this morning, and I'm sitting here, you know, with a cup of coffee and my glass of water, and it's just great. It's great to be with you today. All right, so let's look at this. I love it on page 59. It says, half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. So here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. So step one, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, I think that when I first worked through the steps, I did not have a firm enough foundation. So when I went through the steps with a sponsor this time through um, A Vision for You, I found my sponsor. Actually, I found her on a special edition. 
last July, and it was it was really miraculous. I'm just going to take a, a second to share this with you. I still can't get over it. It was such a kiss from heaven uh, that I can't believe it. But I can, because I think God is so good, and I think that he meets us at our level of willingness and surrender. And he knew I was there, and he provided just the right person for me. So I was listening to this special edition, and that morning I had actually done – a new spiritual practice I was doing where I was just trying to hear the voice of God more. And there were just four simple steps somebody had given me where you just get into the stillness, you focus your eyes on God, you tune into spontaneous thoughts, and you journal, and you do them all at the same time. So it was a beautiful morning. I was outside at the table, and I had done this, and I said, God, what do you have for me today? And all of a sudden, I tuned in to the birds singing. And the birds were just in a little symphony out in my backyard. It was beautiful. And so I wrote my response as I heard, um, you know, as I was just praying and meditating. And I heard God say, do you hear those birds singing? And I wrote, yes. And then I wrote the response I heard in my spirit. And it said, Listen to my songs of love over you today. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. And it's just not something I would have written on my own. But I thought, okay. And I just kind of tucked it away. And I remember I got in my hammock outside that day as I was listening to the special edition. And as... um, this beautiful woman uh, was giving this talk. I had this feeling in my gut, like I knew that I knew that I knew that this person was supposed to be my sponsor. And I remember thinking, that's kind of funny because there's over 300 people on this call and I bet there's a lot of people that are feeling that way. Well, all of a sudden, like pretty far into her talk, you can even hear on the recording these birds started singing and I remember being in my hammock and tears just started falling down my face and I thought you have got to be kidding me because I had heard listen to my songs of love over you today and so she even said on the line she goes you know I don't know she said something like this she said you know I don't know where those birds are coming from, but somebody must be unmuted. And as lovely as they are, they're not by me. So I remember Leia tried to mute the line, I think, but you could still hear the birds singing. So beautiful. So I remember getting on at the end and I was new at the time and I didn't even really realize that I was supposed to ask a question and Leah was so gracious and she's like, Kathy, as fascinating as this is, could you form your words into some kind of a question? And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes, I can. And so I just said something and uh, then I got in touch with her and uh, we talked the next morning And I told her the bird lady, you know, would be contacting her and we connected. And even though she didn't have a spot available to sponsor, um, she said she could find someone who sponsored like she did or I could wait for her. 
but I felt that because of the birds and the feeling in my gut, I said, you know what, I- I'm going to wait. I just had a feeling it was supposed to be her. And um, she ended up calling me later that day, or it was the next day, one, one or the other. And uh, she said, she said, you know, this is kind of funny, but one of my sponsees is going out of town. So I might have a few days this week where I can talk with you. And she goes, but the only spot I have would be, it was 5.30 in the morning, my time. So I was so desperate and so hungry for what she had that I was like, great, I'm in. So the miraculous part to me was that every single day from then on out, somebody canceled and she had an opening and she's been sponsoring me ever since. And I love her dearly. I love her dearly. And I feel like God knew the exact measure of structure and truth and grace that I needed. And he just chose this person for me. I really believe that. I really do. And it's, it's just been a great, great gift to me. So now I get to sponsor uh, people out of the way that she has modeled to me, which is one of the great gifts of this program. Okay, so back to step one. One of the things that happened uh, when I got set free uh, from bulimia, like I said, was that even though I got set free and my food was good most of the time, I just couldn't get out of the relapse cycle. So when we went through the steps with this big book that I believe is divinely inspired because every single day on the line I read it, when I'm working with sponsees, something else jumps out at me. It's, it's amazing. I mean, how many times can we read it? And there's things I, I keep reading and I think, have I seen that before? Or does it just um, jump out because I'm at a different point of the journey? So it says, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. So I wanted to make sure that I really had step one. And it was through reading through this book a page at a time, starting in the doctor's opinion that she'd read two pages, I'd read two pages, and then we would talk about what we had highlighted and was there anything I missed. And what I felt like we were doing all along as we worked through these steps were we were creating a firm foundation. Something was wrong with my program because if I were doing what the book said, the book says it works, it really does, but it wasn't working consistently for me. So something was missing. So as I looked at step one, and as I'm working with people now, this is so important to get, at least it was for me, and maybe this will help you if you're relapsing. Let's look at the words carefully. It says, we is the first word. Okay, so we admit it. So that means together, I am not doing this alone. If I'm out there trying to do this by myself, it's just not going to work. It didn't work for me. It did not. All right, so I had to admit I was powerless over food. I had to really get at the core of my being 
that I have an allergy and that there are certain foods, primarily for me, primarily sugar and white flour. And that's just for me. Those are my dreaded substances that if I take a bite of them, it, it could take me anywhere. I think um, I might have shared too that there was a priest that I heard talking on um, a talk on alcoholism while I was in college. He was at Notre Dame and he uh, gave a talk on alcoholism and his definition of alcoholism was you cannot guarantee the outcome of your behavior after the first drink. And if I apply that to food, if I pick up certain substances, let's say M&Ms, because that's the one I talk about the most. If I pick up an M&M today, I could be fine. I might not. And more than likely, probably not. And even if I'm okay today, within the next week, I'm going to be back in food. There's, there's not even a doubt in my mind today because I will trigger the physical allergy that sets me up for the mental obsession and my life will become unmanageable. Now, what does an unmanageable life look like? It's an inconsistent life. It's a life where I'm all or nothing. It's a life where I'm too much or not enough because I'm making up for lost time or I'm checked out in bed for way too many hours. And so I'm not getting finished what I should on a daily basis. And I always have little disasters around me, typically in paper bags, where like if people are coming over and I have all these piles on the kitchen table, which are a representation of my unmanageable life, there will be bags with papers that are just hidden in the basement, in a closet, you know, wherever, just to kind of get them out of the way. And then I might have to eat again so I don't have to think about that bag. That was just one representation of the unmanageable life. And what's an amazing thing, one of the uh, witnesses, I'll call it, to my recovery is that I am almost completely finished with the bags because I now live a consistent life. And it's amazing what doing something for 15 minutes a day can do. I found an accountability partner in the program. I just kind of got the thought one day, I can't do this alone. It's a we program. How about it if I imply it, apply it to some of the wreckage of my past? which would be these bags filled with paper. And how about if I get an accountability partner? So I found um, my friend in Vermont, Envision, and I met her at the convention. And we decided, because uh, I had heard her talking about some unmanageability like this, and we decided that we would do, um, we kind of sandwich a 15-minute slot where I would text her or call her when I started to work on some of this paper, I'm dealing with it, and then I would text her at the end and say, finished. So 15 minutes became enough. It became enough. I'm like, this is enough. What is that? I don't even know what enough is because I had never lived consistently in my entire life. And now I'm doing 15 minutes of something a day. Well, 15 minutes, if you do it, you know, 
five times a day, you're talking, you know, like, what, an hour and 15 minutes? And you have an hour and 15 minutes of paper done in one week. And then, you, ha- you know, it just multiplies and multiplies. And now I'm just 15 and a half months abstinent. And it's unbelievable. I could take you through my house and show you, I mean, the garage that has been tackled, the closets, the bags. The, and this is just happening as the result of consistency and doing enough. Because, um, as Leah said in the opening, you know, addiction is about, you know, a lot of people say the disease of more. And we always want more, more, more. Well, what is the opposite of that? How about enough? And what is enough? And we can apply that to all different areas of our lives. So that's just one example. But to just to really get that if I pick up the first bite, it's directly tied to this unmanageable life. So let's go to step two. So we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. All right, so came to believe. So if you have some issues with God or spirituality or whatever, you do not have to believe, you know, in God right now. You really don't. So you can put that aside. If you think that you do to get into this program, that's just something that you're making up in your mind because the words say came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And what is sanity? Sanity would be no longer, it's no longer, here's the way I'd like to, I was thinking about it last night and I thought, I want to be restored to sanity, which means for me that it's no longer enough to believe the lie that the food would provide me a sense of ease and comfort. I had enough finally, of thinking that I could do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Same people don't do that. So I had to invite a higher power into my life because I had been trying to do this on my own, and I was living an unmanageable life. So if I was going to get this unmanageability, I needed help outside of myself, something greater than myself. And that is where this meeting helped me so much because it's ironic. I, I'm a worship leader. And so I'm this very faith-filled person. I have been building a, solid, building a solid foundation with my faith for many years. But actually, in some ways, when I tied it to this illness, it was a stumbling block for me because I thought that it should be enough. I really did. I thought my faith should be enough. But it says in the big book, you know, that faith alone is not enough. Like I have to apply these steps. And I think taking steps one, two, and three fully are one of the keys. And then living out of 10, 11, and 12. So, okay, that's step two. So now let's go to step three where it says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And I understood a lot about God, like from my own experience. But I had to turn over my will and my life. And I had to let him be enough. 
his will had to be enough for me. And there was kind of a, uh, there was kind of a grieving for, uh, associated with some of that for me because I thought I kind of had my dreams, my desires, my will, and I had to be willing to lay that down and invite him in fully, even with the food. So for me to get out of my will, like one of the things I had to do was I had to call a nutritionist for me because I was so messed up in the head about food and what was enough and what was, you know, was this not enough? Was it too much? Um, I didn't know anymore. So I just wanted a clean slate. I found a nutritionist who works with people with eating disorders. She helped me to get some clarity with my food. So that was one example of me laying down my will, getting some accountability. I I wrote down my food every day and I turned it in and I did three gratitudes every day, like focusing on what God was doing um, for me and through me. And this was the foundation for me, one, two, and three. I don't know if I had taken them fully when I did them uh, before. I really don't. But I, I just patched up the cracks in the foundation, and I just started surrendering. And you're going to hear me say this over and over. My number one thing that I do in recovery, and it is, it's everything to me because he's everything to me, is I just invite him in every moment. I, I invite him in all through the day, not just in my quiet time in the morning, but I invite him in to everything. And I feel like he loves the invitation. He's always there. We don't, you know, he doesn't turn away from us. I think we turn away from him. And it's like, it's like I, I think of it as, you know, how my children feel when I invite them to spend the day with me or time with me. You know, it's like they, they love that. They feel like, oh, just the two of us. And I just get a sense that God feels the same way. And it's a beautiful thing. So I laid down my will and my life. And he came in. He came in like never before. I felt him doing for me what I could not do for myself. So then I went to step four. And I had done step fours before. But the way that I did step fours uh, prior to this was very different. It was me for eight hours, the first one, just going through the stories and the stories and the stories and talking about what these people had done to me and really focusing, um, yeah, on how I had been harmed and a lot of blame, I think. But notice the words in step four said, say, make a, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Okay, so this is about, this is really about me. And I just find it interesting, that word because um, I just went through the columns in the book. And my, my sponsor had a slightly different way of doing it, which I'll talk about more when we get to six and seven. Um, but this was really, this is about me. This is looking at my behavior. And that's another thing that has really shifted in my recovery this, this time through, is that the focus is on 
where did I get the ball rolling in things? What was my responsibility? And, you know, as a bulimic, a former bulimic, I like to say, I think one of the issues with bulimia for me was that if you think about it, bulimia is about, you know, not taking responsibility for your actions. It's avoiding the natural consequences of your behavior. Now, there were consequences, like I almost died from a heart, I thought I was gonna have a heart attack. And I'm sure that my body uh, took a toll from all of that sugar and all of that purging, all of it. But um, I, on the outside, when people saw me, you know, I looked, I'm sure, pretty normal. And people, and I just had this smile, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home and I just became accustomed to, I would just put on that mask when I went outside and I would smile. I remember when I went to treatment um, in the nineties for codependency, they made me wear a sign around my neck that said, cannot smile for 24 hours. And I tell you true. I, I almost folded. I didn't even know who I was without that smile. And I do smile a lot today, but I smile because I'm joyful. I also cry uh, when I'm sad and I feel fear sometimes. And then I pray or I do a fear inventory or I call one of you. It, it's just a different life now. I feel much more authentic. I feel much, much more comfortable in my own skin. So I did this inventory. Uh, it took me much longer to do the steps than a lot of people I hear on the line. But with the schedule of my sponsor and myself um, and all of it, it just took us time. And that's okay. It took what it took, and I'm glad it did because we were building a firm foundation, and, and it worked for me. So I'm grateful for that. So then uh, step five, admitted, I love the words when I went back and was just really examining the words, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs, not their wrongs, our wrongs. So in our fifth step, the way that my sponsor did it was we had a column uh, an extra column where she gave me these, um, these words for defects of character. And I had, there were many, many words, like on a page, maybe let's say 200 or something, maybe more than that. But I found, um, I, I would go through these words and selfish, dishonest, fear, like all the words that are written in the big book. I used those, but these were kind of supplemental words to just help me go deeper into the nature of my wrongs. So all my, all my fifth step was, was reading through this final character, which listed every single defect. And I did one line after another, after another, after another. And I don't know if it took like 40 minutes or, or how long, but I think it took about that long. And I remember after I had read about 20 or 30 of them in a row, this cry came out of me from my belly, like from the depth of my soul. And it came up. Whew. And I felt like I was given eyes to see myself for who I really was in this illness, in the wrongs that 
I was doing, not that people were doing to me. And I feel like God has this wonderful way of when he's teaching us, he doesn't condemn us, but he convicts us. And that's what I had. I had a sense of conviction, conviction that I had some work to do. I had some serious flaws in my character, um, a hundred of them to be exact when I counted all of the defects, um, a hundred different defects of character. And I couldn't really get over that because my sponsor had said on her uh, uh, special edition that she had something like 59 or 60 something. And I thought, wow, that's, that's something. And then I ended up having exactly a hundred, which I thought was pretty funny. So after I did that, I took my hour alone and, you know, and I asked God um, to talk to me. And it was a, it was an incredible time. I still remember sitting in that bedroom and just getting alone with God. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that time. And then we did step six and seven uh, right there. And sixes were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Well, after 26 years, 26 years, every time I say this, I can't even believe that I lost that much of my life trying to figure it out by myself and trying to be the one in charge I finally was entirely ready so this lesson see God doesn't waste a thing I don't think he wastes one thing because he's faithful 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 and it took me 26 years now during this 26 years mind you I was still on a spiritual path I was still learning and seeking and getting counseling and going to uh, conferences and worshiping and doing all these things that I did. So I was still growing and I was still developing my relationship with him. But I had these defects of character that I did not know how to get rid of. Well, now I was entirely ready because I, I was exasperated. And enough. I said, enough, enough, enough. Thank God for the final enough. So step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Now, this step for me was where the profound change happened. My sponsor gave me these two sheets. And on one side of the page, it says defects. And on the other side, it says assets. So I went through, and I have 100. I have these sheets right in front of me now, and I wish I could send you a picture of them because they, they speak to me so, so deeply on so many levels. There's 100 defects of character listed under the word defect. I'll just read a few randomly. Self-seeking, arrogant, unrealistic, egotistical, inferior, self-absorbed, suspicious, procrastinator, show-off, destructive, self-doubt. All right, so these are just some examples of the hundred. And then in the asset column, she had me write what would be the character asset or the opposite of the defect listed. So for low self-esteem as the defect, I have written as the asset, I am enough. Release the opinions of others. All right, so when I asked God to remove these defects of character, she had me every night for two weeks 
read every one of these out loud. For me, it was a hundred of these out loud. And I think there's power in our tongue, in the spoken word. I really do. I believe that's part of the power of saying that we are recovered once we are living in the promises of these steps, because there's something powerful about saying, I am recovered, as it says in the big book. Um, so I would say, I'm just going to give you a couple examples. I would at night say, God, please remove my low self-esteem. And please replace it with a sense that I am enough. Please release me from the weight that I place on the opinions of others and help me to get my sense of self from you, not from others. And then another one, jealousy. God, please remove my jealousy and help me to Celebrate with others when they are celebrating. Help me to be happy for them when wonderful things happen to them. So those are just a couple examples. And I did that for a 100 every night for two weeks. And I tell you true, after that two weeks, I felt something happening. Something was changing in me. And it was beautiful. It was a beautiful gift. So step nine, um, made direct amends to such people wherever possible. We made our, we made our, um, you know, we made a list of, um, I mean, step eight, I'm sorry. We made a list of all persons we had harmed. So I went through my list. I looked at all the people and we just separated them into piles, one that were easy, one that might be a little harder and ones that I thought I could never make. And uh, then we just developed a strategy for how to do that. And, uh, that went well. And I remember um, in step eight having um, a fear that I might miss something, that I, it wouldn't be enough yet again. And I thought, uh, my sponsor kept saying to me, Kathy, don't worry about it. You don't have to do this perfectly. Just do your best and you'll always have step 10 to come back to. So don't worry about it. So I just trusted her and I just kept going. And then uh, step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And she helped me decide those things. And some, one of my uh, defects was people-pleasing. And I think that I had been an over-apologizer in my life because of a sense of unworthiness that I had. And I had to get off of that train too. I had to stop over-apologizing. And if I had already apologized for something, even if I felt like somehow, you know, one of the ones I had a real struggle with was um, my, I went through a divorce and um, boy, when I, when I really looked at my defects of character this time, you know, there, there's a grieving involved with some of this because there's a sadness of the lost time of the lies that I believed, how I believed that my husband should be, should have been more than he was. And I put that expectation on him. And, and I had apologized. I've done huge work around it for him. And he knows that. And we have, you know, a fine relationship today and have remained friends. And I'm grateful for that. But, 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 you know, this stuff is not easy to look at. Um, It's not an easy process. But it's so good because it's like we have to do a thorough house cleaning, it says in the big book, so that we don't have to have any of these um, like fragments of roots 
that are just straggling so that they could come back up again. And then we're just going to step into the freedom. So 10, 11, and 12 are what I realized I was missing. I was not, when I first did the steps, I was not living in 10, 11, and 12. I was too self-centered. I, I was not actively helping others. I wasn't giving back what I had been given. I was doing a lot of serving and all kinds of ministry, but I sense now that God wanted me to be helping people in this area. And it's his will, not mine, right? So that, that was just uh, part of it. So step 10, what happened to me is that my eyes were wide open from having done um, steps four and five. And the big gift that I got and that I get still when I do 10 steps is what did I do to get the ball rolling? And it's so interesting because now I kind of have ears that can hear when others and myself are making it about the other person. I always have to look at myself. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be a doormat. It just means that I have to look at my part in whatever's going on. So that's been such a change for me. So as soon as I feel that sense of resentment or fear creeping into me, I will bring it to God. And now I say, God, I just really quickly in my head go through the first couple of columns. And I say, I have a resentment at so-and-so for doing so-and-so. It affected my, you know, my self-esteem, my ambitions, whatever. I just kind of run through them in my head. And then if I can get really clear on it, I just bring it to God and I give it to him and I ask him, I pray in the opposite and then I let it go. If I can't get clear on it because I'm too wrapped up in what they did to me, that's when I call another person because sometimes I need your eyes um, to see. I remember many times, especially um, when I was early in this, reaching out to people and thank you, thank you to every person who has listened to me. You know who you are and I love you for listening to me uh, work through these things. And isn't it wonderful that we can do this back and forth with, the, for, back and forth with each other? Uh, such a gift that we have, that we're not alone in this. Um, so step 10 is just a huge, huge gift. And a, what a tool. It's, it's a way to live. I, I really, I, I wish this for everyone, that they would have these tools. Now, my favorite step is step 11 sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Okay, how beautiful is this? How delicious is this? Better than M&M's, for sure, for sure. I just, I just had a thought of this one gal many years ago in the 90s, and she used to go. She used to go, I'm so-and-so, and I'm powerless over the three M's, men, margaritas, and M&M's. <laughs> I don't know, it just popped in. It's kind of funny, but so true. All right, so we thought, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying for knowledge yet again of his will. And so I had to pray for his will, and I have to every day, 
and that he will give me the power to carry that out. Because on my own, I got nothing, nothing. But when he comes in, that's when I get to get catapulted into the fourth dimension. And I have these experiences now. They're absolutely supernatural. I, I mean, you can call them coincidences. You can call them what you want. But when they start happening consistently, there's just no way. God is real. God is alive. I believe this. I, I believe this with everything in me. Because why could I not stay stopped for 26 years and I can now? Why? I, it's, it's these steps and it's my higher power. Go through this book and look at how many times it talks about higher power. We have to say throughout the day, thy will, not mine be done. Thy will be done. I do it and it works. It really does. <laughs> like it works. So it's not, it's really not hard. I think it's hard to get out of our heads and into our hearts and just allow this to take hold. But just step out. I mean, I, I, I could do a whole talk just on step 11, but I'll move on just uh, because I, I need to wrap this up. But um and then step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Oh, step 12, what a gift that I did not have before. Um, but the question, of course, arose um, when I got to the end of the steps, will I be able to sponsor well enough. Am I enough to sponsor? I don't know. My sponsor was so good. Could I ever do this like her? But see, the gift that my sponsor gave me was that she constantly led me back to God. She didn't answer my questions for me. She directed me back to God. And it was such a huge gift. It was just amazing. So she told me, you are enough. Because you just are sharing your experience, strength, and hope. And that's all, all you have to do. I mean, that's all you need to do. And when I have questions, I get to call her or I get to call other recovered people and ask them. And I can say to my sponsee, you know what? I don't have a good answer for that right now. Let me, get, let me talk to someone, to my sponsor, whatever, and I'm going to get back to you. And that's exactly what I do. And I get answers, and it's great. Uh, I just want to flip to page 93 in the big book. And it says that it's on the bottom. It says, faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. Let him see that you are not there to instruct him in religion. This was also pivotal for me because, you know, I learned in my fourth and fifth step that I, I actually had some self-righteousness that I had to deal with because my faith is so strong. Uh, I had to be really careful to remember that these 12 steps are not about me talking about my faith. I'm happy to talk about my faith if you want to talk to me about it. Happy to. Uh, but that's not my role in these 12 steps. My role is to share my experience, strength, and hope and to be a guide through this big book because this big book is what saved my life. 
And your journey with your higher power is yours and it's yours alone. So that was another gift that I received to just dial down and let God dial up for others, um, you know, on their journey alone. So um, anyway, I, I know I didn't talk much, much about my backstory, but I figured if you had any specific questions that you wanted to know, you know, the backstory is the backstory and it's just all of it. It's the, the drinking, the smoking, the nail biting, the eating, the binging, the garbage cans, the running out of classes in college and having this thing just control my life. Uh, the illness for me was about uh, growing up uh, with a dad who was a lawyer who was um, very powerful in his personality and his uh, work life and kind of authoritarian. Uh, but I now consider him to be my greatest, greatest gift. And the restoration that God has done in this relationship is, is out of the park, out of the park. And it's because I learned to love him where he is I learned that I did not have to receive the sense of too much or not enough um, that I felt was kind of put on me throughout my life. I got to, as I said in the doctor's opinion, recreate this life with God and these steps. And if there's something that someone else to me that wasn't in alignment with these steps or with my faith life, I got to discard that. And I got to invite God in and say, what would you have for me, God? And I now have a sense, after having worked these steps and living in freedom, living in neutrality with food, living in joy, even in painful situations in the last year, um, you know, well, it's been 15 months or so, but in that first year, I mean, I had a 911 call with my 25-year-old that was so intense, I can't even tell you. But I invited God in, and he showed up, and I was given peace and serenity. And I learned that where my daughter was right then, whew, it was enough. God had given me enough to be a good mother in that moment and he gave me enough help through that time and my sister showed up and helped me get to the hospital back and forth and um i was enough to be enough uh you know for my my 15 year old and to be there for her and my husband was on a trip out of town that i was supposed to be with him on and he was enough and it was enough for me to be home and not be on that trip and just one thing after another, you know, where God shows up. I remember I had my daughter's car in the driveway for like a year. And I, one morning, I really needed to get rid of that for many reasons. And I prayed, it had been sitting there for I think seven months or something in the driveway. And I prayed this one morning, I said, God, I want to invite you in. And I pray that you would provide a way for me to release this car. And I'm telling you the absolute truth. I mean the truth. My daughter and I came, I picked her up at school that afternoon, my high schooler, and I walked up the drive, or walked out of the car when we got in the driveway, got out of the car, 
And all of a sudden, this man that I've never seen before walks up to me at the end of the driveway. And I had said the prayer that morning. And he said, are you by any chance selling that car? And I started laughing. And I, I remember in my, in my spirit just saying, oh, God, you're so awesome. You are so funny. And sometimes you show off. And I think one, now is one of those times. And to cut to the chase, the guy ended up taking care of the car, having it towed away. The next day it was gone. I got money for the car. And that was that. So for me, uh, the, the rest of the journey here has just been about continuing to lay it down, continuing to invite God in. And uh, to just trust that he is enough. He's enough. He's enough. And I was thinking of the words to this one song that I've sung many times over the years this morning. And the words of this one part of the song go, all of you is more than enough for all of me. For every thirst and every need, you satisfy me with your love. And all I have in you is more than enough. Thank you so much. I pass with that. Thank you, Kathy G, for your inspiring and hopeful message of recovery this morning. Thanks for sharing your story of transformation and taking us on a walk through the steps. Thank you. Share ID for this morning's presentation, 12,108. That's 12108 for this morning. Kathy G's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You'll need to press star 1 to unmute to give me your first name and first letter of your last name, please. Star 1 to unmute. Linda D. from Connecticut. Hey, Linda D. Hi, sweetie. Who else? <coughs> Marissa E. Marissa E. Sima M. Sima M. Nancy L. Nancy L. Anita B. Anita B. All right, that's a lovely group. Everybody mute, please, except for Linda D. Go ahead, Linda. Good morning, my dears. I'm so thrilled to be with you. My name is Linda D. I'm from Connecticut, and I'm absolutely awed by being a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm supposed to pose a question, so I'm going to kind of fake it here. <laughs> Is there a way I can jump through the phone and hug you, the speaker? Because I am experiencing what you have experienced. And to have it confirmed in the joy and the, even some of the words like how astounding the connection with God is. I was an atheist, so believe me, God had to do nip-ups to get my attention. And it is from the steps. It's 
everything that you said. It's astounding. It's like looking through a mirror. So that was the best way I could fake a question. I just hug you and I thank you and I pass. And thank you, Linda D. Mercy East R1 to pose your question, please. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone, and um, thank you for your lead. I um I just wanted to ask about you know this being enough, and um I'm newly recovered, and so what I'm seeing now is that I'm noticing and working on believing that I'm enough. But I noticed how before when I was in my disease, I would focus on how I wasn't enough and how everybody else wasn't, and so just how you feeling like you're enough impacts your relationships with others at work, in your family, and just in the world in general, because I feel like I used to focus on the negative and what I lacked and others lacked, and now just that new perspective. So if you could talk about how it impacted your relationships with others, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Uh, I, I would say that one of the things that I've done is I've just tried to, I try to say out loud every day, I am enough. I look in the mirror and I I just say that to myself. Actually, when I'm walking the dog sometimes, sometimes I go through the alphabet and I say, I am, I begin with A and just do positive affirmations and things that I think that God believes about me. And it's really interesting because as we transform and as we settle into feeling that we are enough, something happens in our relationships. Some things have happened in my relationships where people are more at ease because when you feel like you're enough, at least when I feel like I'm enough, I am not judging people like I used to. They don't have to be anything for me. I remember I had a therapist years ago who once said, we have to release all expectations of others. And I remember at the time thinking, man, that's pretty radical. Seriously? I didn't even know if I believed her. But the more that I can practice that in my life now, the more at ease others become around me and the greatest chance I have of influencing anyone else's behavior is to recover, 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 as we hear on the line. And as I become enough, I think they naturally start to feel more like they're enough. The best example I have is probably my husband. We've been going through um, a hard season because there's been just a shift in the dynamic of our relationship. And because my recovery is solid now, I think his role has changed and he's getting more in touch with, he has more space to get in touch with some things that have been really difficult in his life. So the more that I can say to myself, he is enough today, my behavior gets reflected in that he doesn't feel like he has to be anything other than what he is and is put more at ease. And so I do the same thing with my daughters. I had a conversation with my daughter who's moved to Costa Rica yesterday. And even though there's some things in her life that I may not agree with or might want something different for her, this is her life. 
and she is enough where she is and God is enough. I'm stepping into deeper and deeper trust with that to take her and guide her. All I can do is recover and pray for her. And something shifts when that happens and people can sense that you're loving them where they are. And when we love people where they are without expectation, it just improves relationships across the board. At least that's been my experience. So I hope that helps. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Marissa E. Sima M., your turn. Star one to unmute Sima M. Okay, good morning, Leah. Good morning, Kathy. Is it Kathy Jean? Kathy G. Oh, G. Okay. I wasn't sure if yeah, it was Jean. Hi. Hi. Thank you for your uh, shares and uh, for your story. Um, I have a question about uh you mentioned that um somebody said to you just don't throw up and you were able to and then god gave you the grace to be able to just not do that one thing but then you talked about um after that um that you weren't quote abstinent and how long did that go on for and how did you finally get abstinent um, and how were you working the steps in that interim? I hope that makes sense. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and it's a great question. Thank you. Um, I know it's it's hard for me even to understand. I I don't understand how this was even possible, really. But I remember having to sit. Uh, and it's funny when I work with my sponsee now every day when we pray. I always, one of us always says, thank you, God, for helping us to put our big girl pants on today. It's kind of a joke between us, but it's, it's dead serious. Because for me, recovery has been about growing up. I mean, I'm 58 years old, and I feel like I'm putting my big girl pants on finally. And it's about taking responsibility, full responsibility for what I eat, what I put into my body now. And I wasn't doing that before. I had been in OA for, I can't remember exactly how many years, but I'm going to say like 12. And then I went away for a lot of years. So I had learned a lot about food and nutrition and all these things. So I was kind of managing. And I know that might be contrary to a lot that we hear about the allergy and the obsession, but trust me, I was in the mental obsession even when I was doing well, I would have periods of reprieve when, when I was in really fit spiritual condition or when I was using something else like um, alcohol or when I smoked or <clears throat> all kinds of different things. God has just taken me on a journey in recovery where it was thing after thing after thing that I had to let go of. And so it's just really been a journey for me. And it was when I got on the vision line and started hearing people talk about entire abstinence and nutritionists and all kinds of things that I finally got a nutritionist, got a food plan, and it's just been a journey of getting it tighter and cleaner and, you know, and just growing into it, um, you know, over the past uh, 15 months. So it's been 15 months, you know, without those binge foods and just regaining clarity and 
um, getting structure about the food. But I do remember in those days when the bulimia was removed, I had to experience what would be, I would call hell for a bulimic, which was sitting with all that food in your stomach, which I know most compulsive overeaters, that's what they do. You know what I mean? That's just what they do. And they gain the weight. But for me, I've lost, it's interesting, because since I've been on my food plan, I've lost 25 pounds, which I, I was kind of in shock about, because I was kind of in denial that this weight from my best weight had crept on over the years. And it had. Uh, But it was when the thought of that weight, like if I did have a binge, the thought of that weight creeping on, that I would have to sit there and own, take full responsibility for that food and not throw up. Oh, my God, those were some hard days. The only way I did it in those days was get on the phone and make the calls. And when I got abstinent this time, <clears throat> last July, I, I used to make uh, calls to newcomers. I used the tools before the promises of the steps kicked in. I, used, I leaned on those tools. It was so crucial for me. I called three newcomers every single day. And that's, that's what really got me through the pain of abstinence. You know, we've heard on the line before that, yeah, you feel everything more in abstinence, more fear, more pain, more joy. You feel it all. And I had to do something to get out of that discomfort of these feelings um, with the food in me. So I really pressed in heavily to the food, not the food, the tools. So it took me a long, long time. It was a journey, but it was really through the dailiness of the vision meeting, hearing the people who were recovered, having that model, being on the food plan, having accountability, and uh, growing up, taking responsibility for my actions and not avoiding the natural consequences. So that's, that's about it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sima M., for the question. Nancy L., star one to unmute, to pose your question. Thank you. This is Nancy L. in Arizona. Thank you so much, Kathy. I just enjoyed every word. I've written about two and a half pages of notes here, and um, thank you so much. Um, My question is, um, first of all, is uh, faith alone is not enough. What page in the big book is that? And then just a quick comment, how much I enjoyed the simplicity of of what you brought to me this morning, and I thank you for that, and I'm done. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Oh, faith alone is not enough. Now, see, I am enough. I do not have the gifts of Harlan, so that's okay, because we all have what we need. Now, I did have written down somewhere here, faith alone is not enough. So let me see if I can find it. Um, mm. Gosh, I'm so sorry. I do not know what page that is on right now. Did you say it was 95? Did you say it was 95? Here it is. It's 93. I picked up the big book and it was right there. Thank you, God, because he's enough. And thank you to the person you're so close. It's 93. It just says um, faith alone is insufficient. 
it, that says he may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. So that's thank page you. 93. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thanks very much, Nancy L. Anita B., your turn. Good morning, and thanks, everyone. Um, I think you kind of answered my question, too, but my question was when you were working through this, these steps the last 15 months and you came to a point of feeling not enough, what did you do, if you've ever felt like that? Uh, yes, uh, thank you. And I uh, absolutely have felt like that. So what I will do, uh, and this is just my own personal you know, practice, maybe just outside of the big book, is I, I will just invite God in. And I will ask him to remind me of all that is good in me and that I am enough. And I'll have a conversation. I'll just, I like to walk and pray. It's really beneficial to me. And I'll just kind of look back over my, my journey and uh, just pull forth the good things that have happened. And um, I'll get on the phone with someone else. If I'm focusing on myself too much, I need to reach out and help another compulsive overeater because some kind of spiritual transaction happens when I get out of myself and I dare to pick up the phone and put myself aside and help someone else. Inevitably, I come back feeling like I'm enough, and that was enough, and I just feel better. So it's just a process of continuing to invite God in and just affirming the truth, because I really believe that we are enough, and we have enough. Um, And to just kind of uh, declare the opposite of whatever the defect of character is that I might be feeling. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anita B. We can take another group. Star one to unmute to offer your first name and first letter your last name. Leslie. Jackie H. Linda G. Jackie H. Wendy B. Anne Marie M. Morrissey. Leslie F. Okay. I'm, I'm missing someone. Leslie F. Jackie H. Linda G. I, Linda G. Thank you very much. Anne Marie M. Morrissey. Who did I miss? Wendy B. Wendy B. Who's in the back there? Julia E. Julia E. Okay, that's going to be Katie M. Ginger C. Okay, excellent. Everybody mute, please. Leslie F., you're up. Uh, Good morning, Uh, Kathy. Thank you so much. Uh, I enjoy you so much listening to you all the time. Um, My question today is, do you have doubt? How do you deal with doubt? Doubt arises. Doubt, either spiritual doubt or program doubt or hope or whatever it is. But 
uh, dealing with doubt. How do you deal with that? Thanks. Oh, hi, Leslie. Nice to hear your voice today. Uh, Doubt. Okay, so what I would do for doubt is I would probably put that uh, self-doubt, it is on my defective character list, I'm looking down. And like I, and this is just personal, um, I would just, there's a scripture that I say that is just the opposite of doubt. So for myself, and it doesn't have to be that for you, I would just say anything that would speak to you, that's the opposite of what doubt is. And I would, I would just do, again, if it were really, if I were really being plagued by that for two weeks, every night, I would say out loud, God, please remove my doubt and replace it with maybe confidence or faith or anything, any words that would speak to you that are the opposite of what you're feeling and just see what happens. I think it's going to be enough, Leslie. (laughs) I think so too. Thank you. Thanks, Leslie F. Jackie H. Good morning. May I be heard? I hear you well. Oh, good morning, Kathy. I love you. Thank you so much for this this show this morning. Oh, wow. I have a question. I love the... Uh, it's 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 about the um, putting down your your uh, defects, and you said you had a hundred of them. <clears throat> My question is around the inventory. Um, did you ever have? Okay, how? Okay, I have an issue with having a re, uh, a reoccurring resentment with somebody, and it's around bullying. I am challenged here on how to find my part. I know that I'm selfish, I know that I'm self-seeking, I know that it's dishonest, and I know that I'm afraid. I want to, and, I'm, and maybe it's just resistance, but to find, how do, you, how do you reach in there deep and find what the defect of character is so that I can turn around and do that prayer mm. to replace it with the positive? Does that make sense? Oh, Totally. Jackie, I, I so get that. Uh, one of the things that I learned through my fourth step was as I was working through some of this with my sponsor. I, I get exactly what you're talking about because sometimes my part in it was is that I had not established a healthy boundary in the relationship. So I have had to do a lot of work over the years on boundaries because I was not familiar with what healthy boundaries look like growing up in the home that I did. So I would just recommend seeking as what I did was I just gathered as much information as I could. I'd be happy to talk with you offline about uh, resources for boundaries and I just studied boundaries and my husband I'm very blessed happens to be kind of a boundaries master he's done a lot of leadership work and um, and so he has helped me to have difficult conversations with people how to create boundaries um, where I don't 
let people, if they're really destructive ways or ways to establish a boundary in truth and love with grace, but then leave the choice ultimately up to that person, whether or not they want to be in the relationship or if they can't honor the boundaries, what I need to do to take care of myself. So I guess it's it's kind of an outside issue, I, I think it would be for this line, but, but I'd be happy to talk with you further about that. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks, Jackie. You're so welcome. Linda G., star one to unmute. Linda G., star one to unmute, please. Perhaps Linda G. got pulled away. Irene B. We're going to Anne Marie M., please. Oh, okay. Linda G. here, but okay. Yes. Linda G.? Yes, go right ahead, please. Sorry. Um, um, Okay. Um, So, Kathy, thank you so much uh, for a very enlightening um, uh, talk this morning. Um, I'm trying to phrase my question in a way that makes sense, and I think you may have touched a bit on it when you talked about step three. So my question is, um, talking about chronic relapsing, what would you suggest, um, or do you have any suggestions for um, somebody who uh, really believes in step one, um, knows that it is a fatal illness, knows what their alcoholic foods are, but continues to relapse because they want to self-destruct internally. Um, so I don't know if you have any suggestions for that. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, all I can think of in response to that is that step one is if we've really taken step one, I can just speak for myself. If I have taken step one fully, I cannot pick up the first compulsive bite because step one, if I'm really admitting that I am powerless, I have to be willing to experience the pain of not picking up in that uncomfortable moment. That's the only way I know how to get better. Um, So the desire to get better is going to have to be greater than the desire to self-destruct. That's all I know to say. To get a person to that place, I'm powerless over that. That's between them and God. Um, Maybe they could get some outside professional help or counseling to help them get to that point, but I cannot bring anyone to the point of desperation. They have to get there by themselves. And I don't have to take on that burden either. 
that's another thing that I've learned. You know, I'm, I'm like a caretaker and I'm uh, a helper and a feeler. And I, I used to just take on such weight of people's stuff, but now I can give it to God and I can trust that God is enough for that. I, it's not for me to fix them. It's just for me to share my experience, strength, and hope and just be a guide through the book. So hope that helps. Thank you so much, Linda. Anne-Marie M., please. Star one. Hey. Hi. Good morning. Thank you, Leah, and thank you so much, Kathy, for your um, presentation. Um, my question is, you mentioned, I heard you mention um, that you, you have a new spiritual practice of listening, writing, and having quiet time and it sounded like you did all, all of it at once. I'm just interested in if you could uh, elaborate, elaborate a little bit more on, on that, and um, how how do you do that meditation in the morning? Oh, uh, you know, I I would be happy to to have a conversation with you outside because it is a personal practice and. Um, it was just about really getting into the stillness, you know, and like focusing on spiritual things and tuning into spontaneous thoughts and writing. But I'd be happy to talk with you outside um, about that. You can take down my number after I give it at the end of the meeting. Was this Anne-Marie? Yes. Leon? Oh, okay. All right, Anne-Marie. So I will just uh, write down um, and feel free to give me a call and we can talk about that. Thank you. I'll do that. Thank you. Thank sure. Anne Marie. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy G, for understanding the boundaries of our meeting. Maura Z. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maura Z. Good morning, Kathy G. And thank Maura you Z. so very much. <laughs> thank you so very much for being for being one of the most spiritual people I know. And sharing it so completely and honestly with us. You use a phrase, I'm sorry, excuse me. You use a phrase very often. And um, my spiritual journey has been my slowest, um, making leaps and bounds every once in a while. But you use a phrase frequently. And you say, I invite God in. I'm I'm a practical kind of gal. Could you give me a couple of how do you really do that and when? Thank you. Oh, thank you, Marzi. I love you. You've been so instrumental in my recovery. What a gift you are. Okay, inviting God in. What does it look like? I'm just going to try to think if I can have a really recent example. Uh, Yesterday, while I was talking to my daughter, and she was in a, (laughs) it was so funny to me. She called, how, technology is amazing sometimes. She got on the phone with me. She was in a tree house in the jungle in Costa Rica. And I thought, how can we even be communicating? This is a miracle. And it was so cool that she was giving me a panoramic view and we were having this conversation. And there was the mom part of me that just had some feelings about, um, you know, part of the conversation or her experience in life right now. And so in that moment, 
rather than saying anything that would be judgmental, because she's 25 years old now. So she, she's an adult and she's living her life and she gets to make her choices. She gets to make mistakes. She gets to find her way. And so in that moment when the mom part of me and the part of me that when they were little was always, you know, protecting them and maybe wanting to control certain things. In that moment, I said, God, in my head, you know, I did this. God, I invite you in right now. Please guide my words, guide my thoughts, guide my tongue, and let me not speak anything outside of love and acceptance. What does it say? Love and tolerance of others is our code, right? And the beautiful thing is my daughter's gone through some real, real struggles in the past couple of years, but she's also flourishing. Uh, so it's, you know, it's life. It says in the big book, life is in session, right? So we all have our stuff. We're all working through. And so now as a mom, I get to be, I just get to be here. And she asks me for advice now sometimes because she feels safe with me and she knows that I love her unconditionally. And so it's really just saying, God, help me to just speak your words to receive your guidance in this moment. And a lot of times it's just helped me to just listen and just be and not have to add anything. If she asks me something, great. But I don't need to offer my opinion on things a lot of the time. So that's just one example of inviting God in. And I just want to say just once for a second to everybody on the line, um, I'm so excited to hear about the next uh, vision convention that Melanie brought up at the beginning of the meeting because the gifts that I received at that convention, one of which, one of my most valuable was meeting Maura Z as I was about to exit at lunch and we got to have lunch together, uh, you know, with Anita J. And the gift of that, and getting to meet the people that you hear on the line and seeing Leah M's eyes glistening with light and meeting, you know, Melanie and Harlan and, you know, people that we hear on the, on the line, it was just overwhelming to me. So um, I just am getting excited for that already. So just wanted to say that, but love you, Maura. Thanks. Thank you, Maura Z, for the question. Wendy B., your turn. Yeah, hi, this is Wendy B. in Arizona. And um, I heard you mention nail biting. And I was just, that was a lifelong defect of mine. And I was just wondering if you could expound on how you got released from that one. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Wendy. Nice to hear you this morning. Uh, nail biting. Yeah, it was just, uh, I really. It was another addiction. So self-care was something that, that's just really been a journey for me over these past almost 30 years. And I remember doing, doing things like just saying to myself, um, I am going, I'm going to choose peace instead of anxiety in this moment. I choose peace. And I, would, I remember taking my hands and just consciously just trying to make them relax or um, I would just invite God in yet again. And like one practical thing I did was I just started getting my nails done. 
um, because I wanted to take care of myself. Like part of my recovery has been learning to take care of myself. And I am worth giving self-care. And now I get my nails done. And my nails pretty much always look nice because for me that's just a gift that I give to myself. I, I consider that to be almost God's instead for me feeling badly about my hands. So hope that helps. Thank you, Wendy B., for the question. Julia E., your opportunity to pose a question. Thanks so much, Leah, and uh, thanks, Kathy. Uh, I believe you've already answered my question. Uh, it, it was, how do you keep that zest and motivation to continuously live, you know, in a moment-to-moment basis in 10, 11, and 12? and um, remain open to that process. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much, Julia. Uh, I would say uh, I just, I love getting on the vision line in the morning. It is, it is such a gift to me. It's something I look forward to. I look forward to hearing what everyone has to say, and I'm always learning. And I would say just the joy and the privilege and the satisfaction of sponsoring and getting calls and being able to be of service to people. It, it just keeps me going on a daily basis. It's, there's a, it's just the gift that keeps on giving, you know, not to sound too corny, but it's really true. Every single time that I get to be a blessing to someone else, I feel like I'm blessed tenfold and it just keeps growing so that would be my answer for that thank you so much julia and thank you julia e ginger c star one to unmute hi good morning uh, thank you leah and thank you so so much kathy your love and your connection to higher power is so profound and beautiful and and your recovery is shining brightly so i just had a quick question you sort of already tapped in and it and we started off with a very exciting message that this uh vision ah, i want to say virginia beach because that's where my beginning began but vision for you will be meeting in newark in november of 2019 and will you be there you know I will, Ginger. <laughs> and Ginger and I, like Ginger's another gift uh, from the program. I love you, Ginger. My God, you're you're one of the people that I listen to that just you gave a message of <clears throat> depth and weight, and you you made me have the hope that I needed to believe <clears throat> that this could work for me, that I could be restored to sanity, and. Uh, I will definitely uh, be there, and I'm. I'm just. Uh, I hope you will be there too, because we're going to have the best time. I hope as many people on this line will come as possible, because it's just what a joy, what a great, great joy. Yeah. So thanks, Ginger. Thank you, Ginger. Ginger. And thank you to everybody who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Kathy G., for offering so much of yourself this morning. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you. Hmm. Once again, the share ID for today's presentation, 12,108. That's 
12108. We're going to close from page 164. You're going to find it in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.